Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and producer. Joining me this week are two five-star podcasters who are committed to Spartan Speak would never decommit for Locked On Spartans. It's Detroit Free Press beat writer Chris Solari and Lansing State Journal columnist Graham Couch. Graham, welcome back. Uh, I Thank don't, you. I don't know if you listened to the podcast two weeks ago. Without you, uh, Vegas is saying you definitely did not listen to it, but we did three hot takes each behind your back. Is that fair play or was this a coup on our part? I heard Chris took some shots at me. He called Ryan a sweet, sweet man, and uh, I would never return. He was also he was also five minutes earlier than you are twenty minutes late, so he was only fifty minutes late. So he's got that going for it. It's good to be back. It's good to be in this this realm with you guys again. Awesome, I and mean, we are we are definitely glad to have you back as well, uh, Chris. How are you doing? Uh, I am driving on my way to Detroit, so if you hear any excess road noise or anything that sounds like road rage, it probably isn't. Um, it's probably just the guy next to me. We'll just say that. It's another car. It's not me. But otherwise, doing well. Um, getting ready to get into the grind of everything else, and I think that's something that Mel Tucker's talked about with camp. It's been kind of like that for the team right now, getting ready for a game, and I think for us as beat writers, it's kind of like that as well because you know, regardless of what you hear from people, we maybe see 15 minutes of practice and they know we're watching. So we'll get into that a little bit later because I think there's some things that, that can be discussed on the podcast that might not necessarily be uh, able to be written about. One, one thing I do agree with you on, not related to Michigan State football, is that if there's an issue on the road, it is never your fault. It's the other person's. Exactly. Exactly. Or Graham's. It's usually Graham's fault. Welcome back, Graham. Thank you. We are welcoming him back with open arms. Well, all right. I kind of want to start with some recruiting news here, guys. Uh, a couple of football notes and then uh, one basketball note as well. But we'll start on the football side because it is football season after all. And on uh, Tuesday afternoon, evening, uh, Michigan State fans and Michigan State in general may receive some disheartening news that four-star wide receiver Demetrius Bell, who is from Tennessee, uh, decommitted. He did not immediately commit to another score or anything like that, but he does have an Alabama offer, although that came a couple months ago. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not, but that is a thing that has happened since he last, or not since he last, since he did commit to Michigan State. Uh, Chris, was this decommitment a surprise, or is this just, as Tucker kind of alluded to earlier this week, I believe, uh, just the way things go? I mean, this has been rumored and speculated about for around a month or so. So it's no no surprise, really. Um, and I, I don't necessarily think – now, losing a four-star talent is always a, a loss, but you never had them in the first place, right? So it's a little different. Uh, I also think that the way that Michigan State loaded up a wide receiver on the 22 class with Antonio Gage Jr. and Jeremy Bernard, I mean, in some ways, Jeremy Bernard almost – is you know 
wasn't expected. It becomes kind of this takes the spot for another four-star guy, if you can say that. Um, and then I think there's the, the, the guy that I think maybe, you know, you look at a guy like Terrell Henry, who's been one of the more talked about players in MSU's preseason camp with a freshman uh, wide receiver from Roseville. Um, that makes it a little easier from a Michigan State standpoint to kind of move on and not if you feel like you have to re-recruit a guy or over-recruit him again. Uh, maybe you just move on and say we're content with what we got at receiver now. We're going to be deep for years to come and you know we'll look for the next talent. They already got the kid from 2024, uh, top player in the state at the wide opposite spot. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was expected, but I also don't think anybody that follows this, um, I, you know, I, I think this was expected and not a surprise and not necessarily something where you're going to look at this class and say that it's all of a sudden falling apart. I, I completely agree. I mean, it's first of all, it's a position, as, as Chris alluded to, of great depth right now. I mean, you just you start to look at uh, you know a year out now. These things can catch up with you if you don't consistently recruit them. We we saw that with like you know the, the offensive line with D'Antonio Hero in, in 2012 and 13 when they didn't take care of that position and it came back to bite them later on. But you know in, in the in the near term, I mean, a year from now, it, it, it's still Trey Mosley and Keon Coleman and Jeremy Bernard and, and Antonio Gates Jr. You know, there's just there's there's plenty. Um, and uh, and I think this is just going to be the norm. And and I love that Mel Tucker said it as plainly as I've seen anybody say it, um, because I always make fun of the word commitment. But it, it, essentially, especially when you're playing with the top tier kids, and you're not doing it like D'Antonio had a different way about him, and it worked for him for a long time. Where you know if you wanted to commit, you were done with visits, and that was sort of it. And it, and it probably eliminated him from certain kids, but it. it it made commitments more firm. Most of college football, the way it exists, this is uh, this is the norm, and, and this is I, I would I would venture to guess that MSU will flip a couple kids before this is all said and done, and I would uh, I would be surprised if they didn't lose one or two more. While while they did lose Demetrius Spadley, did gain a commitment on Monday in getting three-star uh, defensive end Jalen Thompson, who's out of Cast Tech uh, here in Michigan. I believe he's the uh, – he's not three-star, excuse me. He's a, he's a four- or five-star guy, but he's the third-highest-ranked player in the state of Michigan in the uh, 2023 class. Uh, uh, and then you, you're talking about, you know, Mel Tucker getting guys, and that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a nice commitment for, for Tucker and the Spartans. It is, but, you know, the thing is, I think it's important. Like, Mel Tucker said something – I've always joked that these are, you know, pledge, not commitment, whatever. That you could argue one's, you know, it's all the same stuff. He described it differently when he described the class. He goes, "We got a lot of a lot of good players that are super interested," and that's what a commitment really is these days. And, and that you're you're just getting a kid who says, "I'm super interested," but there is nothing really to it until they sign. Most kids ultimately will, but um, I, you know, I think. More than ever, it's uh, and I think the NIL world is going to change this a little bit, not just with schools trying to come in late and lure kids with things, but with kids discovering that what they've been offered isn't real uh, before signing day and wanting out wherever they are. I think there's more movement in the fall than than maybe we were used to four or five years ago. Commitment's a nice placeholder word, just like just like the commitment itself is just a placeholder spot in a lot of ways. 
you know, and I, I think that, you know, the, the Thompson kid that, I mean, when you just kind of look at what we were just talking about, that's a, that's a great fit and a great area need that, you know, there's a lot of wide receivers out there because they're sometimes three, four, five guys uh, per position that you get. And so, but defensive line, defensive line is always an area of need. So that's, I think, a bigger, it's a bigger gain than it is a loss when you add Thompson and lose Bell in this class. Agreed. All right, uh, just one more recruiting note, and it'll be on the basketball side of things here. And I only wanted to bring this up because we talked about this on the podcast two weeks ago, and that's to deal with the Michigan State's top uh, recruit, Xavier Booker. Uh, The rivals uh, redid their uh, rankings, shuffled their rankings up, uh, I believe it was earlier this week or at the end of last weekend. As either Chris or Ryan said on the podcast that they thought Booker would end up being ranked number one when it came out, and that's exactly what happened. Is he was he is now the nation's top ranked recruit by rivals. Uh, Chris, I think that's uh, I mean, recruiting's recruiting, but I think it's just kind of fun to be able to say that you have the number one recruit in the nation. Yeah, I mean, they had it. Well, think about it. They had it with Amani Bates too, yeah. who finally made it official that he's going to Eastern Michigan, and it's official that Michigan State will not be playing them. Um, so I think that's pretty interesting stuff but um anyways yeah i think the booker stuff isn't surprising it'll be interesting to see where he ends up with uh espn's rankings as well because that i think is what ends up bumping him to a five-star consensus on the 24 7 composite he is he is six nationally in, in the 24 7 rankings and and still considered a four-star in the in the composite like because as you said espn is not uh, updated their rankings yet. Uh, you, you mentioned, uh, well, you did mention Bates in the schedule, so I, I guess I'll touch upon that for a second. Uh, I mean, obviously, you can probably put two together about that, but that is kind of a bummer. I kind of wish, just for us, for the people, or maybe even for the, the neutrals as well, it just would have been kind of a little, little nice little fun thing to uh, to see happen, see that out on the court, and see exactly how that all shook out. I would venture a guess that part of the deal with him going to Eastern Michigan was they? I mean, I know they're playing Michigan this year, um, but I would venture a guess that Bates did not want any part of that, and that Stan Heath said, "Okay, you know, and we'll avoid that." And so I, I just because it creates an, a, a really tough atmosphere for Eastern and for Bates, and so I, I just I, I my guess is that is, and, I, and I'm not sure that Izzo really wanted to mess mess around with that whole thing. He was probably happy not to deal with it too. Um, but I, with, I would which be, all but assures this will be the first round NCAA matchup for everybody. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, well, what's going to be really interesting is, you know, I I've seen this, it'll be interesting what type of team Heath puts together at Eastern, but I, you know, I, I've seen this sort of team in the Mac. It is, uh, if Bates tries to be a superstar there, that Eastern team will not win a lot of games. Like it, it, it is a it's a league where the teams that win are old and they're they'll they'll beat you up and there's enough talent there like you you gotta really and that that'll be the question for a guy like Bates and look I, I don't have anything against the kid I hope he buys in it's the reason I was hoping he'd wind up for his his own sake at a more established program so I think what's best for him is to be somewhere where he sort of just immerses himself as part of a culture with better players and and veterans and that sort of thing and and I'm not entirely sure you're going to find that at Eastern Michigan. All right, well, guys, well, let's kind of move on to the to the crux of uh, our podcast this week, and that is the uh, preseason whispers slash observations. So what we're going to do is, just like in the podcast two weeks ago, 
Each of you are going to make uh, three observations or comments or things that you know have piqued your interest so far here during preseason practice as we ramp up uh, to next week's uh, season opener. Graham, since you were not here two weeks ago, I am going to have you go first in terms. So, what is the first thing that really pops to your mind, or something you want to mention and talk about when it refers to Michigan State football's 2022 season? It is something that you guys probably touched on, and and is is a little bit old, but it, it's it's Keon Coleman, and it's his own uh, bravado and sense of he's ready to be a be a guy, so to speak. And I'm curious to see you how truly ready he is and what that looks like. Because if you do wind up with a, you kind of know the baseline of Jaden Reed and Trey Mosley. And maybe those guys take another step too, but you, you know, at least what you have to some degree. And, and I think if you wind up with a, a another target and, and there's lots of talk of Jeremy Bernard being ahead of schedule and other, you know, there's might be some other players there, but if you wind up with a guy who's a, a real problem for defenses um that that could change things offensively for michigan state in a lot of ways and i think the best thing for coleman is that he is not you know if this was um 2013 or 12 msu and they needed benny fowler to like be the guy and there was lots of hype around him and he wasn't ready originally in 12 like they don't need him to be the guy they just need him to be scary sometimes they don't need consistency they just need him to be a problem athletically he's not going to be the focal point of defenses and so i'm very curious to see like you know he's been i mean there are lots of confident kids but i'm i'm very eager to see what what he's turned himself into in year two he also walks that line between confident and cocky it's a real interesting tightrope that very few athletes can manage but he seems to have that it that understands I know where my talents are. I'm not afraid to say I have talent X, Y, and Z, but also not go overboard in self-promotion in some ways. It's, it's real interesting. I think he's a fascinating individual because of the, that and because of his personality and because of his, his talents, you know, both in basketball and football. I think it's such a unique individual that, you know, you know, perhaps when his MSU career is done and, you know, whether he keeps going with basketball or hangs it up, I think he's going to be a fascinating case study of a, of a person who's got this high level of confidence and, and straddles that, that spot between overconfidence and, and being, as you said, bravado. Yeah, Graham, we actually did not talk about him uh, in the last episode. We talked more about Jeremy Bernard than anybody else when it came to the, to the receiver position. Um, Chris, Observation number one. What's going to be interesting to me, and it, it stems from something that uh, Noah Kim, uh, actually Kate and Hauser, uh, discussed last week about uh, about uh, Jaden Reed being in and out of practice. He's not the only veteran that's been in and out of practice uh, since the beginning of camp. And MSU has been very tight-lipped and very, um, how shall I put this, um, Gestapo-like about saying that open avail- the 15-minute open availability that we get uh, is not meant for an injury report uh, because guys are in and out of practice. You get that. You, if you've got veterans in particular uh, who are injured and wearing red jerseys or doing work on their own rather than in with the team, 
this is the time to do it. You want them to get healthy so they're at 80 90% uh, at minimum going into a season that's going to chip away and erode at that number. Um, you want them as close to 100% as possible. So guys that have been through camp, you'll sit them out maybe a little more to give them breathers. But the question is, as I mentioned, the eye in the sky knows who's on the field at all times. They give us a giant magenta sticker to let, it, let them know, not, not so they know who we are, just so they can see a big red uh, you know, magenta sticker and say, well, there are reporters here, so whatever we need to do. They're cognizant of that of the eyes that are there and who's in and out of drills at that point. So we may see, for example, there was a, a situation during the, the scrimmage over the weekend where they, the team released some video from the scrimmage, but if you look really carefully and closely in the background, as reporters kind of need to do now in this era, there's Caleb Coley, the talented freshman who enrolled early in cornerback, standing in the stands in, in his jersey. So he's not even participating in the scrimmage. So that's something that, you know, that's the team releasing that, right? Or there were a couple other guys in, in another video from the other day who were in red jerseys, um, you know, that, that previously weren't. So, you know, it, it, it's hard to say where the health factor is going into this. And I think that particularly on the offensive line, and we've seen a lot of Ethan Boyd in the clips that they've shown at right tackle. Not much of Spencer Brown. Where's that situation at? Is that just getting a younger guy soaked, or is that getting having to get Spencer Brown healthy? We won't know probably until game week, and probably not until kickoff. Ooh, I love I love a good. Uh, it's not really a conspiracy, but uh, uh, secret injuries. Uh, I love to hear it. Yeah, and I'm not going to mention I'm not going to mention any names because it's ridiculous because it's a it's a pro open practice period. You could take picture of these guys in red jerseys, but we can't write about it, which is asinine to think about in a lot of ways. But there, there have been projected starters who have been in red. Playing well, in my, my only my only counter to that would be this, I, and I, I would I would prefer they did more what what exists in basketball, where practices you know in basketball we we see you know up to an hour of just about every of a practice for every game. But the rule is it's sort of off the record to the degree that you at least ask Izzo about it you know, um, before right. you go ahead and report. And, and, and so I think that would be a, a, you know, a, a good way of going about it. I, I would be 100% cool. We don't shoot video of basketball practice. Every once in a while they'll do a little yeah. B-roll or something for TV people here and there. I wish they would just remove that component of it and give us more access to practice. I'd be 100% cool. There's no video. There's no photos. It's all off the record. You get a better sense of things, and having a sense of things is as important as anything. And um, you know, rather than having fifteen minutes in which, you know, it's it's, I I, I have no problem with that. So I, I don't really I don't. Oh, really it, it 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 makes projecting depth charts pretty problematic, right? I mean, that's you know, first world reporter problems. But you know, the fact that that you know this is. A situation where they're they're saying you can't show this, you can't do this, but then you you find and spot things in their own self released things. Again, you know, just it, it, it's it bears watching. Let's just put it that way. Uh, I will note that Iron Sky, a classic uh, yacht rock slash prog rock song by the Alan Parsons Project. Everybody need to know that. All right, Graham, uh, your second observation. Yeah, my, my it's my intrigue with with Jay Johnson and the offense. And I, and I wrote about that this week. I, I just, I am, um, I am very curious to see what, 
like Michigan State since I've been there, and I, I wasn't there for the Treadwell era or any of that stuff, but since the Dan Roshar, Dave Warner, Brad Salem era, Michigan State has not had an offensive coordinator that fans liked. Now, that wasn't entirely – by the time Salem took um, the reins, you know, I don't know that that was – there's a whole lot to be done about that. But this is different with – and I think it's, it's, it's not just because there was some success. I think there is an air of – he comes across as very competent and interesting. And I, I don't know, to me, I am curious what he'll do this year when you don't have Kenneth Walker, but I think you've got a lot of really good players in a lot of places. I think you're stronger at the tight end position, um, you know, depending on health there. And I think you're um, deeper, maybe even at receiver. Even though you're really good at receiver last year, I think you're good enough at running back. Now the offensive line will ultimately determine a lot of things, but you got a veteran quarterback that allows you to do some other things. So I, I what what that offense looks like, what how creative he gets. I think they'll get creative. They're able to with some of the tight end stuff. I think you'll uh, and you know we saw things last year like the flea flicker become part of the base offense essentially, <laughs> and that made a ton of sense because. I mean, who better to run the flea flicker with than Kenneth Walker? So, you know, it, it made a ton of sense. I'm very curious to see what sort of advantages he sees on their roster and what, where, how creative they get and where with the playbook. It'll be very different than, you know, I, you know, you look at like Western Michigan's roster and they've got, I think, one clear top receiver and, and, and they'll, they're going to try to, move that guy around and, and, and feature him. I don't, you know, and they may do some of that with Jaden Reed, but I don't think this, you don't necessarily have to do that. I think he got enough weapons. And I'm very curious to see what year three and what's essentially year two of Jay Johnson looks like. All right, Chris, number two for you. Number two for me goes right to that offensive line that Graham mentioned. I asked Mel Tucker about how deep they can go. And, you know, you, you mentioned about being able to run that flea flicker with Kenneth Walker we also are able to do it when you've got, you know, almost 200 plus games of experience on the offensive line in front of them as well. They know how to sell things and, you know, some of the subtleties that need to go into making plays like that work. Um, and that's gone, you know. So now, how deep can Michigan State go on the offensive line? You know, they were going about eight or nine deep last year. And at points, they were running a whole second unit in there pretty much um, early in the season until injuries started to hit a little bit here and there. And, I started to get shuffled around a little bit. Uh, but, you know, to me, you know, J.D. Duplain seems like an anchor. You know, he seems pretty well set at his spot at left guard. Um, it, it seems like Jarek Horst uh, has come back from whatever kept him out of the last half of last year and all spring practice. That's another area of concern at left tackle. But they've also been working uh, Brandon Baldwin in there, Tucker has said. Um, Matt. Matt uh, Carrick is, seems to be back to full strength and starting to work into that right guard spot with with the, the transfer, Brian Green. And Nick Samak appears to be the guy in front at center, though him and Green could swap. Um, and then, uh, as I mentioned earlier with right tackle, what, what's the situation there between Spencer Brown, who you know has been talked about as a, a good leader on that line, um, but we've seen a lot of Ethan Boyd in the practice clips that they've shown. So... Um, that right there is looking at what seven deep, eight deep maybe. Um, 
they, uh, a guy who's been mentioned is bouncing around all three positions is Dallas Fincher. And, and that's about it. Um, I think we heard mention of the freshman Austin Lepo with his size and Christian Phillips, uh, big dually, as they like to call him, is another guy whose name has been mentioned, but not very often. So you know, how, how deep can they go and how good can they be when they don't have a lot of game experience like the previous teams did? I, I'm curious about that because I think as much as Kenneth Walker had that big year last year and the line helped him, a lot of those yards are still after contact. So this group needs to take that next step forward. If this team wants to be as good as it can be, I mean, even that's exactly what Xavier Henderson said. This team can go as far as the offensive line can carry them. And that's, the, that's about every level of football, but particularly this group in, at, at Michigan State. Xavier Henderson is, I mean, he's a, a well-spoken person, but he also says stuff. Like, Shalik Calhoun was well-spoken and never said anything. Like, like Xavier Henderson is... Like he is the truth serum that comes out after the coach, and the coach. He, gives he's like he, he's a lot like Xavier Tillman because he'll give you yeah. he'll give you the emotional breakdown, but he'll also give you the X's and O's breakdown. Which and I think you'll get a sense because because you know, there will be oh you know you know Davion Prim is is moved a corner and people go oh well, I wonder and then you get it from and there's you just get the sense if you read the tea leaves from Xavier Henderson you'll know where people stand like he's got some talent but he's raw and he's not part of the group right now. You know what I mean? You get a sense of, you get a much yeah. better sense of things from him. Uh, RIP to Davion Prim's uh, RB momentum in the spring. Yeah. Well, but remember, I mean, Jeremy Langford bounced back and forth at running back and cornerback a couple times before he had breakout season his junior year and took them to a Rose Bowl. So, you know, I wouldn't read too much into that beyond what Tucker said of trying to get the best players on the field in places that they need them. Graham, uh, your third and final preseason whisper. I want to see this this pass rush. And, you know, there's a lot of talk because, and Mel Tucker said, you know, you are what you emphasize or something to that degree this week. And, and obviously the hiring of Brandon Jordan has been a big deal. They're spending a lot of time on it. I'm not sure they yet have a, a pure edge guy that's really going to cause problems. We'll see. There's some guys who are, I'm intrigued to, to um, to watch, but you know, how does that pay off? I think they understood they needed to be better there. I think that the impact, um, you know, be felt throughout the secondary, we felt everywhere. If they can get, become a team that causes problems in that sense, and you know, from multiple positions, and, and um, so I, I want to see that. And there's been a lot of talk about it, and I, and I don't expect you know, you, you don't just hire a guy like that to only have an immediate impact. Like it doesn't, your roster didn't change entirely. You didn't all of a sudden have a, you know, a five-star defensive end. Um, but, you know, let, let, let's see if there is an immediate dividend. And, and I'm curious to see what the, what the pass rush looks like from where and, um, and how they're able to create pressure this year. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to use a soccer analogy uh, for the, for the Brandon Jordan stuff here. Uh, uh, my favorite professional soccer team, Tottenham Hotspur. Graham's also Graham's favorite uh, soccer team as well, as you guys know on Twitter. Right. <laughs> uh, they hired a set piece coach this year, which is uh, a rarity in world soccer. Uh, that very few teams 
higher set piece coaches. Uh, but Tottenham has done that this year and, uh, they've already scored, I believe three goals off set pieces this year. And that's a team that has traditionally had a ton of trouble scoring goals off set pieces and they've already paid dividends quite early. So if we're looking for specialists and the possibility that something like that might work, uh, maybe, you know, Brandon Jordan, uh, works his magic on Jeff Petrowski or, uh, Michael Fletcher or whoever is going to line up at defensive end there for, for the Spartans. Well, I mean, when your midfield is as slow as Tottenham's, too, it helps to score on set pieces because otherwise it's a rather uninspiring group. All right. I, well, we won't talk too much on this. I'll just say is they're not slow. It's just because Conti, Antino Conti prefers a midfield two as opposed to a midfield three. So you, you can get you can get bum rushed at times, but you make up for it with your defensive back three and, and your speed on the wings. That's all I'll say. You just wait. There's going to be more professional sports leagues that hire side piece coaches. This is this is a family podcast, Chris. <laughs> it was a little slow development. No, no, no. I was trying to think of something PC and witty to say, but I failed. Uh, I failed on my That's end. That's why I stopped where I did. <laughs> just leave it to the imagination. But I will say that you dovetailed perfectly into my third thing to keep an eye on. And it's not anything about side pieces or set pieces. It's mm-hmm. about uh, the guys who use their feet, the kickers. Um, listen. If if Mel Tucker is bringing in a a kicker from Auburn um, at this late in the game, now they knew that he was going to graduate in August, so this obviously was Ben Patton from uh, Rochester Adams, uh, who had spent the last uh, three years, I believe, at Auburn and still has three years of availability uh, eligibility remaining, thanks to the only, COVID. Only in COVID. Um, only in COVID can you have that. <laughs> uh, only in COVID, but. He, He's going to be pretty much a doctoral student by the time he gets out. He's going to he he will if he'd have been here all the whole time, he'd be pushing Matt Coughlin uh, age. Uh, but I do think that there's concern there. I mean, this is it, 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 Mel Tucker or Xavier Henderson talked about Mel Tucker bringing in uh, a lot of Nick Saban tendencies to analyzing things and all that. Well, he's also bringing in the the kicker issues too. I mean, Jack Olson was here and gone. He transferred out. That was their first big kicker recruit. Quickly transferred to Northwestern when Coglin stayed last year. Then they bring in Jack Stone, who's supposed to be the next guy. Well, now you're bringing in a transfer midway through camp, uh, along with walk-on Stephen Rusnak, along with another walk-on who joined the team in, in uh, uh, I think, January. So all of a sudden, in the middle of camp, you've got a massive kicking problem. Um, that you need to figure out quickly because if you are going to score points, and, and which Jay Johnson's offense did last year and what you hope will happen this year if you're Jay Johnson and Mel Tucker, you need someone to kick the ball. And w- if the running game is stagnant, you need a, a, a solid, competent kicker who can put the ball through the uprights, which we saw with Matt Coglin last season until he got hurt. And then when Matt Coglin got hurt, everything changed towards the end of the year and some of those things became an issue. So I think that the kicking issue now all of a sudden, even though he talked about the good things that, that Steven Rusnak and and uh, Jack Stone have been doing, you read the tea leaves like Graham said, you're not bringing in another kicker at this point if you aren't concerned. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, he also, you recognize, I mean, this is for any team at any level, but you're certainly, at a, I don't. he knows his program is not at a place yet where, there's a whole lot of margin for error in a lot of games, and so you know, you, you know, if you if you've got a real kicking problem, and, and and again, we we don't know that they do, but it may be, 
he doesn't trust it and you don't want to risk it with that season. So you're going to, you're going to make guys earn it and, and sort of uh, show their teeth uh, on, on Saturdays. But um, it, it, and kickers are a weird group because I have, you know, just in covering the sport for a number of years, I've seen scholarship guys get uh, beat out by walk-ons. I've seen guys have all sorts of sort of head problems, you know, where like in yep. practice. Yep. Yeah, and you know, and, and you talk about open practices. Well, when I used to cover a different school, and I won't say it because I want people to drink this whenever they listen to this. <laughs> but, Wait, hey, uh, Grant, who did Michigan like, State open the season with? Aha, uh-huh, yeah. Um, you talk about <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, the um, when I every practice was open, and so I would watch. You know, you'd see what was going on with these kickers sometimes in different years, and you know, they had a guy that like they were so he was so he had good talent, but. Confidence-wise, it was Fort Lauderdale kid. You know, they recruited, you know, scholarship kid. And when he finally won the job his final year, like, every kick he made, like, the whole team celebrated in practice. Like, they were trying to build him up constantly. You could tell he was just fragile. And, and it was, it was, um, it was you know, so some of these, you know, the makeup of these kids is, is always interesting. And it's, a, it's an interesting job. It's a tough job that these guys are doing at the ages of 18 to 22. You know, it's not like a professional guy has been at this forever. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm totally with Chris on that. I'm curious to see where that goes. And to me, it's not just the place kicking. I mean, we're talking about kickoffs as well. That was something that last year Coglin did great at the beginning of the season and it changed field position. And that was a major, major thing that helped that team get off to that eight and off O start is the, the ability to pin teams deeper in their own territory or have touchbacks. I covered a guy. We haven't seen... We haven't seen kickoff duty. Usually when, we, when we're in there, and I, I always laugh when I see uh, these website reporters saying, player X looked good in practice today. It's like, you watch the backpedal in a drill that yeah. the coach was throwing in the ball. You don't know that. We haven't seen kickoff duty, so we don't know who's handling that you know, on either end, whether it be returns or kickoffs. And you know, you assume it's going to be Jaden Reed on handling it, but if you don't want to get them hurt, like I asked Mel Tucker, I mean, what yeah. are your other options? Maybe you can so tell her or whatever. Here, here's why I think the Reed thing is not so, – so this, and again, going back to a guy I covered at another school, uh, you know, Greg Jennings going into his senior year did not know he was going to catch 98 passes, most of which from a freshman quarterback and, and be a second-round right. pick and have the career. Like when I asked him about not returning punts, he said, that's my money. Like so, when you're when you're right. trying to get yourself into the NFL, your thought if you're Jaden Reed, what you're looking for is showcase your way in a lot of different ways. Like that's, I, I you know, I, I don't, I think he'd like to be back there as well. I'm not, I'm not saying I, I think he'd be back there on punts. I'm, I'm wondering about kickoffs because I you know last yeah. year they split they split him with with Jalen Naylor. Then Naylor gets hurt and yeah. they brought in Montori Foster, and then Montori Foster was out all spring and is still working his way back from injury. So. If you, what do you do in that? Do you, I mean, you might have to keep Reed back there, but maybe you put a guy like Terrell Henry back there. Maybe that's where he's flashing more because they need an immediate impact guy who can return kicks. I mean, but we haven't seen any of that. In the same, we haven't seen the kickoff. And I think that's, you know, those are vital things that, that, you know, coaches love to talk about the importance of special teams. And it's usually, I mean, particularly during D'Antonio's tenure, we saw a lot of special teams in the limited windows that we would get to see in preseason. Now that shut down. We didn't see the team during the season. So, 
and I imagine that's going to be the same here this year. We won't see them after next week. Um, and, and the limited glimpses that we'll get, we might not even get a glimpse next week for all that we know. So I don't know, but the kicking thing is something that, you know, red flags go up when you're bringing in a transfer in the middle of, of, of August, um, just you after seem, the pass rush down at Michigan. You seem greatly offended by the lack of practices you're able to witness. No, I, it's not that I'm offended. It, it is what it is. But what my problem is are the people who watch the limited window that, again, like I mentioned, coaches know that we're there. They know what they're right. showing us. And, and they know they what they're not anything. showing us. Right, right, right. And if you don't go in there as a reporter thinking, what aren't they showing us, then you're not doing your job. Uh, I, I'm going to offer a, a preseason whistle of my own, a, bo- a bonus one, if you will, here. And uh, I just kind of want to talk about Hamp Fay for, for a hot minute. Uh, he has moved from uh, quarterback to safety. I believe Chris wrote about that uh, earlier this week. And uh, I just think it's interesting that this was a guy who was, was a quarterback in high school coming out of Texas. He was Tucker's first quarterback recruit. And a lot of words and a lot, a lot, of, a lot of words both written. Uh, typed in spoke were about how he is Mel Tucker's quarterback. This is Mel Tucker's guy. He's going to be the future Michigan State quarterback, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, well, here we are just a year or two later, and now he is at a different position. And then uh, this happens a lot. You know, it's it's one of those things where every year the quarterback – uh, recruit gets hyped up so much and we observe what he does and doesn't do on the field and and now it's kind of an irrelevant slash uh, moot point here. Uh, Chris, since you wrote the story, uh, I mean, is there anything else to say about Hamp's move to, to, from quarterback to safety? Well, you don't see a lot of 6-5 safeties and I didn't see a 6-5 safety out there at practice the other day, so take that for what it's worth. Well, I think what's, what's, what's noteworthy is that he's stayed so far and, and that doesn't mean he will continue to so far, Stay yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, I mean, court, quarterback recruit from Texas with three stars. A lot of schools in Texas. Yeah. Right. And a kid, you know, I mean, a quarterback, um, you only get so much time in your life to try to do that. Unless he's truly been convinced that, you know, you might have a future in football, but it's, it's not at quarterback, and in which case maybe he's all in and, and on board. And uh, I think the other thing for kids who came in and were part of that COVID year, now with the immediate transfer, there is some – flexibility like if you're a kid like him what would be the point of leaving now now you could get to another school quickly and start to learn their system and all that stuff but you can do that in the spring and there's no sitting out anymore so if you're at a place you like you know at a place where you've got friends or place you and they're they're willing to try somewhere and you're you're intrigued by it and you know i i, I can see wanting to do that um and maybe he'll have I mean, a real the, the, the blueprint the blueprint is give it four games and then hit the portal and preserve your year right Right, and, and I mean, we saw that with Chase Klein last year and Kalen Gerb. But well, the thing is, though, he COVID—he's already used his redshirt year, and so I, I don't think that would really be in play. And he's not going to play four games. He, at all does, he, this year he came in—he came in last year, so he doesn't even have that extra year. Right, right. He came in twenty-one, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Correct. So yeah, he doesn't—he doesn't—he doesn't have that extra year, and he, he, he redshirted which already, makes so. it even more, which which adds urgency. Well. Yes and no. Yeah, if he wanted to leave now, but the four games he's probably not going to play, or they would. I, I, I guarantee you, if, if he was going to play um, special teams, which they've used him some on here in more than four games, they will have those conversations uh, with him. But when you've already used your redshirt year, the four game thing's kind of irrelevant. With the you you don't want to leave now um, if you're going to go. So no, it's interesting to watch. Um, you know, it, it's something. Certainly, it, it's. 
You know, I think if you're Michigan State and you can have a guy who's been a quarterback, another scholarship guy, and you keep him in the program at another position, that's also a win for you, just in terms of depth. And uh, if you ever really were, were desperate or had a really injury snake bit in the year, but um, I, I don't, I don't think hey, it's a total maybe, surprise. Maybe, maybe with Demetrius Bell decommitting, maybe you could move Camp Fay to wide receiver, give a big body target, and kind of take a, a bigger version of Keith Nickel. There you go. Mel, hire Chris Solari as a as a special assistant coach. He's got he's got ideas. Well, I still want to I still want to discuss that the lack of of Dan Roshar not using his full weaponry in 2012 or whatever it was and putting all the quarterbacks out there with Nickel and Martin and Cousins and running like a big wide three four quarterback backfield and confuse everybody and have Keyshawn Martin throwing at Kirk Cousins on a on a out or have Keith Nickel take the snap and run the option with there were so many options that they didn't use. I'm still sad about that. And now the <laughs> offer from Tucker has been rescinded. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. All right. Well let's move on to listener questions here. Uh the first one comes from Cole Peterson. He asks which departure will the football team miss the most this year, not including Kenneth Walker. Graham. Miss the most. I mean, you know, because obviously like it looks like uh, Jalen Naylor is going to be a player in the NFL. He's been pretty good reviews in, in Vikings camp, and and um, but I think they're good there. And so, you know, I, I, it's and this is not, you know, it's probably somewhere up front, and I'm just not saying it on the offensive line or not. Um, but it, it's probably, I mean, right now you you'd have to go back to what Chris is saying, and it, it's a, it's a kicker, right? I mean, it's you know, it's it's. And and not that Matt Coughlin was always consistent, but for a college kicker, he was pretty good. And by the end of his career, before he got hurt, he was starting to add distance to his kicks. Yeah. You know, both both uh, on the, the the field and place kicking, and with his his touchbacks and kickoffs. And that was, you know, that was, you know, people talk about what. Michigan State might miss the most, and that that might be causing his leg on kickoffs to to have better coverage, especially if they are getting more athletic. But again, it's all a wait and see because we don't know exactly what's going on there. All right, uh, Chris, did you have a pick, or is it yours, Coughlin as well? Well, I mean, I'd I'd say Coughlin would be one. Um, I think as well. I think you kind of got to look a little bit at at the defensive end spot because I, I think the three guys that they lost. With Panashuk and uh, Beasley and Drew Jordan, those are their top three guys. So they have limited experience coming back. Those three guys really, I mean, you know, they, they finished tied for ninth in the country in sacks, uh, even though there wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, the offseason was about learning to generate more pressure on the quarterbacks, particularly in passing situations, to disrupt some things. Uh, but they got home. That group got home. So, you know, that's, that's going to be tough to replace. I mean, it, could the sack numbers go down, but the pressures go up and, and they end up being better? Maybe. But but those three guys, I mean, Panashuk and, and uh, Jordan in particular, were in NFL camps. So that tells you a little bit about the talent that they had there and they got to replace that quietly somehow hasn't been really discussed much. All right, David Cox asks, I think Thorne's ceiling is quite high. Huge improvement from year one to two. With the talent around him, he can be an all-big 14 this year. Nice. And All-American. Why am I wrong? 
offensive line. That offensive line kept him upright last year. Um, you know, even though it might have had some issues in run blocking, that was there was a pretty good pass blocking line, and it kept it allowed him to do the things that he can do with his legs to extend plays vertically and horizontally. Um, if that's not there, and he ends up being a stagnant quarterback, how does that change him? Because his ability to be mobile and his ability to throw on the run are what allowed him to to kind of reap the benefits of having Kenneth Walker's season and and be able to three, throw those downfield passes. He doesn't have those time to do that, and he's constantly being flushed and having to make that decision, do I throw, do I run? Um, you know, that could be – I mean, we saw that hesitancy and, and disruption with Brian Lewerke as the injuries mounted on the line in front of him. So, remember, Brian Lewerke is a sophomore versus his final two years. I mean, it looked like he had that kind of ceiling as well, but it's all pertinent and tied to what's, what's in front of him and how healthy and how good is that line. Yeah, I would say he's not wrong, except what we just, you know, we, we haven't seen it yet. Um, and, you know, um, we, what we don't know is, and I think he's got plenty of weapons, again, other than the line um, around him. But what we don't know is, you know, in many games last year when they needed him to sort of carry the day for a while, he would struggle for a bit. And so, you know, and some guys can take certain steps and then they – that's it. And so what we got to see is, is can he take that next one? Can he be a guy who's just a real threat and a guy whose arm and, and, and head and accuracy can, can carry a team? And, you know, until somebody does that, that's, that's, that's what makes you a great, you know, he's a good quarterback, whether he's a great quarterback. I don't think we know yet. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think he's got a lot in the toolbox. There's no question. I think he's probably got as, as much talent, um, of any quarterback that Michigan State's had, I can think of all the way back to maybe like maybe Drew Stanton. Um, and that's, and you know, that, that group includes a longtime NFL backup in Hoyer, a, a longtime NFL starter in Kirk Cousins, and a guy in Connor Cook who did a lot of great things in college. So I, I think that there's, there's definitely the talent, there's definitely the age gap and the ceiling, that, you know, at the age to, to reach that ceiling is there. But it's a lot of it's going to, I mean, a lot of that quarterback development is with the parts around you. He's got weapons to throw to. Is he going to have time to throw? David Cox asked another question. Also, the Weasels, I assume he means the Wolverines, lost a ton of talent on D. Their coach is suspect and their QB is blah. With MSU's favorable schedule, shouldn't 11 and 1 be expected, barring injury? Whoa. Um, oh, we're, we're at that point where we're talking 11 wins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. That's. I mean, even D'Antonio's seasons weren't that. <laughs> no, no, no is the answer. Uh, because, again, uh, I, I think while you can you can see what's happening in, in an individual season, you still have to look at the program in terms of realistic trajectory and, and, and where the recruiting classes are and how long it takes for your own guys to be there. Like, if you're truly expecting, like, Mel Tucker has a contract that at some point does elicit double-digit win expectations. When you're making $9.5 a, a year, that comes with the territory. Um, but that, that we're not there yet with him. And, and I think you have to um, – I do not think it's that favorable schedule. I think last year turned out to be a pretty favorable schedule. There were some dynamics last year that the team wound up being really good at, especially early when you look at the way they finished off Miami and the way they – the way they closed games and, and when they were healthy early, 
Um, but when you look at this schedule, you know, I think there are, are sneaky, difficult games early on with Washington on the road, new coach. Washington would be 2-0. and um, You know, New coach who throws the ball around a lot. New coach who throws the ball around a lot with an experienced quarterback, both of whom have throw, shown the ability to throw the ball against MSU. Yeah, and a good defense. And, and then, and then you know, Minnesota is a nine-win team with a more seasoned program. And then the big challenge will be they play Ohio State early rather than late. And, and while that's good in terms of probably competing with Ohio State better than a year ago, you know, how do you respond if things don't go well then? If that interrupts the season crescendo. So even if you're undefeated when you get to Ohio State, if Ohio State thumps you, what happens the next week against Wisconsin? We saw in 2019 when that a team gets deflated. And, and so that, that will be a test of the keep chopping. I think there are things within this schedule that are much more difficult than um, – than a year ago in terms of the start they got off to. And uh, getting to 8-0 allowed them to have that sort of fall from grace in November and then, you know, save themselves at the end and have a good finish. Yeah. Oh, to me, I think the, the question mark, too, is real depth versus perceived depth or hope depth. I mean, you, you can hope that you go 7-8 deep on the offensive line, but if you can really only go 5 or 6, that changes things because guys may not be up to speed and ready to go. You know, you hope you can go six deep at linebacker, but if you're really only going three deep, then, you know, are those guys getting the snaps needed? Um, you, you can hope to be deep in the backfield with four or five guys, but if only one or two of them really show the ability to move the chains, then what are the other guys? Doing? So there's, I think there's a lot of things that, that come along with, with the hope and the hype versus the reality that we're going to see over the first three weeks of the season that, that are going to kind of project forward a little bit more. Uh, you guys called it closing game strong. Uh, I think you could also maybe call it pulling a lot of games out of their keister. So, <laughs> I don't, you know, they weren't really that far from being 7-5 and five last year. So, Hey, they, remember, they knocked the Eric King out of that game. Yeah. That was, I mean, so I mean, you lose the starting quarterback at that point and change Miami's trajectory of their season. You know, if that's two, three games down the line and you got the quarterback who had, you know, who replaced King, um, you know, maybe it's a different story, but it, and instead you, you were able to put away a guy that was inexperienced. All right, you guys touched upon Ohio State, and then the next question regards that from Alan Perlstein. He asked, if you cut to the chase, does Spartan football absolutely need to beat Ohio State to prove they are a legitimate BCS contender? I would say yes, because that, you know, without having the full schedule in front of me, I believe that begins that gauntlet stretch with, with Ohio State, Wisconsin, Michigan in there, and then I, I believe there's another game that, as well that's not exactly a slam dunk. So I know that there's a road game in Maryland in that point somewhere. So yeah, I, I think that you know you can you know being competitive can still set you up to have a chance to make that run if you lose it, but getting getting thumped probably excludes you regardless of what happens to Ohio State unless they completely fall apart, and then you you know then what exactly do you do? I don't know. You know, but I don't know. Do you have to beat them? Probably. But, um, you know, it's also what you do and how you respond after it that, that could still keep you in contention because the nice thing about having it in early October versus mid to late November is there's a lot of season left ahead. Sounds like a man who hasn't booked all his travel yet when he does <laughs> there's a Maryland game in there somewhere. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, no, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think eventually, yes. I mean, they aren't that really this year. Obviously, if it happened this year, that would 
say they were further along than, than we realized. And I'm not going to put anything past the program, given how much they surprised me a year ago. Like I thought they'd be a seven win team a year ago, but they were, they were, there were elements to the team that I, that I was much more impressed with than I anticipated being. Um, so yeah, I mean, Ohio state is the benchmark and it's, it, you know, they don't have to beat Ohio State, but you, you know what competing with somebody looks like. And that, to me, is, you know, we'll know leaving that Ohio State game. If they lose a game by – if they lose 35 to 24 to Ohio State and it's a game in the fourth quarter and physically they're able to go toe-to-toe a lot of that game, you know, we'll look at the team differently um, than if, you know, it's 41-12. to And um, so I think that's – I, I don't think they have to beat them. I think they have to look like they belong on the field with them uh, to sort of change that perception a little bit. So you're you're saying eight touchdowns in about thirty minutes, thirty five minutes of football <laughs> to start the game isn't an optimal start, right? I, I'm guessing giving up that many. Yeah, correct, correct. Well, here's here's another thing to keep in mind too about Michigan State's start. Teams, you know, injuries mounted for that team, but there wasn't a book for those first few games because of the amount of attrition and changes that Tucker made to his roster. Took some programs a little bit of time to kind of catch up to what exactly was going on with Michigan State. And then I think the other thing is the injuries in the secondary coupled with the the back part of that schedule against the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten was not very favorable. But yet they still managed to only lose those two games against, uh, you know, O'Connell and Purdue and then uh, Ohio State and Stroud. So... Well, um, it, it, but, it's not just it's not just the injuries in the secondary. Like to me, I mean, this that was a big part of things. But what kept that team from really having any sort of prayer was like you get to Ohio State and you're still without Jalen Naylor. So they became a much less fierce attacking team when they when they had Naylor and Reed. Really, you know, you go you go back to the Miami game and the Rutgers game, sort of yep. the peak Naylor Reed Kenneth Walker games in the late September, you know, early October stretch. Like that was a, that, that was a, that group was a force. And you could do Ohio state. You got an injured Kenneth Walker who's barely, barely running and you have no Jalen Naylor. And so that, then you have no counter even to what Ohio state's doing to you. And that secondary is getting put out there. So it was, it was just a, the worst of both worlds. If, if but, but at the same did, point, at the same point, you didn't have Naylor against Penn state. You had a hobbled Jaden Reed coming out of that Ohio State game with his ankle and a hobble Kenneth Walker and you beat Penn State. No, absolutely. That was so, a gutsy that was a big gutsy win, but that's yeah. a different caliber team. If they had played that Ohio State team in uh, on October 1st last year, they would have lost, but they would have scored enough for people to go, "Huh." And it would have been quite as bloody on the other side, you know, and I think that I, I think so. I don't think they were as anywhere near as far away a year ago as it, as it appeared. Now, again, depth is part of being a great program, and they didn't have it. And Tucker kind of knew going into the year, and that's again one of the advantages this year is, you know, the, 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 their hope this year is that they are closer to having that depth. But the other thing is, when they actually play Ohio State this year, they shouldn't need as much of it yet. There's a lot more known both to Michigan State's coaching staff, like Tucker said, about the guys they have, because they had them for a full summer, a full spring. Um, and on top of that, there's also a lot more known about the Michigan State guys to opponents and opposing coaches going into the season, because there, have, there weren't as many transfers last year. 
All right. Good podcast, gentlemen. Good questions from the listeners. Thank you, guys. Uh, any final thoughts before we sign off for this week? No, I, I just think I've done a good job of not road raging. So Yeah, you did well. I'm actually very surprised that we didn't have uh, some profanity-laced tirades. Um, the, uh, I did stop in a parking lot for a while just to make sure we had a connection. So. The, uh, no, I, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, that a week from now we'll be talking about a game and uh, that's upcoming, and two weeks from now we'll be talking about a game that happened, and that's that's fun, you know. I, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I think everybody's sort of ready for it, and you can tell this time of year where there's not a whole lot left to uh, to, to prognosticate. I'll definitely have some over unders uh, ready for you guys to go next week as part of our as part as we preview the game and, and the season in general. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Chris Solari, at Graham underscore couch, at Phil underscore friend, and to LSJ Greenwhite. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.